Good morning. We're now in week seven of meeting online, and it's a pleasure to gather with you again. And every week, some different thoughts come to my mind just as how we experience this whole situation. And for the first time in my life, I just did my budget this uh, week, I think early in the week, and I'm currently at like $0 spent on gas. So that's kind of exciting for me, $0 spent. And I have to admit, my, my gas tank is probably on like a 16th of a tank. And there's this part of like weird, obsessive, compulsive part of me that just wants to wait until Friday, May 1st to buy gas to see if I can make it, but I, I, don't, I don't think I will. But nonetheless, uh, we're glad to sh- gather online with you this week. We are continuing a series entitled What Now? We're in week two of it, where we're looking during this Easter season, we are looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and we are taking a look at how people experience and encounter Jesus, and letting that inform how we encounter and experience Jesus during this season. This season, we are looking at, um, we are looking, or last week we started the series and we looked at how Mary Magdalene did not recognize Jesus. And we saw that in the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, there is this theme of non-recognition. This week we continue with our second post-resurrection appearance, and we're looking at the theme of non-understanding or a lack of understanding, how people experience Jesus, the people in our story this morning, and how during that experience, they didn't understand that it was even him. They didn't recognize him, and they didn't understand who Jesus was meant to be and what he was meant to accomplish. The story is Jesus' encounter with two disciples on the road to Emmaus as they leave Jerusalem and as they return home after the celebration of Passover, which ends in tragedy, as their Lord, as their um, hopeful Savior is killed on the cross. And now they leave Jerusalem. And Jesus has risen from the dead, and they don't know it, they don't believe it, and they walk back downhearted, downcast, and dejected, discussing the events that only a short week ago seemed to start with such glorious hope and anticipation. The text for this morning is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and I just want to read it to you, and then I want to say some things about it to hopefully orient your mind towards understanding Jesus in a greater way. Luke chapter 24, verse 13, starting. Now the same day, two of them, and the same day is the same day as Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, the story we looked at last week. Now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It is about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed, These things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still and their faces were downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now, in addition to this, some of our women amazed us, and they went to the tomb early this morning but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And at that time, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But Jesus disappeared from their sight. They looked at each other and asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we ta- while he talked with us on the road and as he opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them, and they assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them, by them when he broke the bread. This morning, this morning we see this ironic account, an ironic journey to Emmaus, where two living disciples talk with a stranger about a dead Jesus who happens to be the living Jesus. (laughs) And this living Jesus is now standing, walking with them, talking to lifeless disciples who are dejected and depressed. The two disciples meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, downcast and depressed as they discuss their disappointment about the events from the last few days. Things have changed so quickly. When Jesus entered Jerusalem just Uh, Just a week earlier to the acclamation of the crowds, to all the messianic hopes of deliverance and salvation. And now the one who they had hoped would be more is dead. Their expectations of glory and salvation are shattered and they walk home. And on the way, Jesus meets them. Although these disciples do not recognize them, do not recognize him. We don't know who these disciples are. One, his name is Cleopas, and the other one, uh, we don't know who that is. Uh, Maybe it was another fellow male disciple. Maybe it was his wife. Uh, There's been all kinds of uh, conjecture, but that's all it is as to who the uh, identity of these two are. But apparently they were close Uh, to Jesus and close to the inner disciples, the 12, for they know right where they are. And at the end of this whole account, they, they quickly journey back into Jerusalem, even though it's in the night, to tell the disciples all that they've experienced on the road to Emmaus and in their home. Whoever these disciples are, We find a lot out about them in this uh, little account that tells of what they expected, right? As Jesus asks, what has happened? The disciples say, verse 19, who is this Jesus? And they say, he was a prophet. Do you see that there? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, but now he's dead. In this little interchange, we find out about these disciples that they believed that Jesus was nothing more than those who came before him, strong prophets. Absent from their description of Jesus are words like Savior, Messiah, and Lord. He was a prophet. 
And although Jesus' star might have shined a little bit brighter than prophets before him, his, resur- or his, his crucifixion and burial and death mean that he couldn't have been more. But do you notice what the text says next in verse 21? He was a prophet, but we had hoped. But we had hoped. And these These words come so naturally out of the mouth of these disciples, and they come so naturally out of our own mouths. We had hoped for more. He was a prophet, but we had hoped for more. And the irony is he is more, and he's standing right with them, but they do not see it, and so often we do not, because we have expectations of what we think Jesus should be like. And when our hopes seem dashed, but we had hoped, we we do not, We're not able to see that our expectations are not the rules by which God is playing out the story and agenda of life. But we had hoped come so naturally out of the mouth of the disciples, and they come so naturally out of our own mouths, and they threaten to undermine our faith. And yet God, throughout the whole story of the Bible, has worked outside of the expectations of humanity outside of the expectations of humanity, often in a way that tend to disappoint us, but in a way that the results are far greater than anything we could have hoped or imagined. And I am convinced that while Jesus and while God has often worked outside of our expectations, that Jesus is still working outside of our expectations. That Jesus is still working outside of our expectations. Often when we hear a phrase like this, um, It is in the context of telling you that your expectations are too small, your dreams are too small, that you need to dream bigger dreams, and that God will grant you the success and the desires of your heart. And I believe all that in a sort of way, eventually, eventually. But in the here and now, we have to recognize that we must have our dreams and expectations reshaped by our vision of Jesus that we need to recognize that the pathway to having our heart's desire is often suffering because this is the pathway of imitating the life of Jesus. You know, I'm just thinking of a few passages, and perhaps you'll recognize these passages. I think of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, which says something like this, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard all of the beautiful mysteries that God has in store for us, Right? But do you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you were to read that greater context, is about glorying in the foolishness of the cross to bring salvation? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul prays a prayer for the church at Ephesus, and he says something that goes like this. Pray to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or think. But did you know that that prayer is not given in the context of pursuing whatever man-made dreams that you have for yourself, but it is in the context of bringing unity within the church between diverse people groups, about, about pursuing unity at all costs. We need to have our dreams and our expectations reshaped by our vision of Jesus. And we need to recognize that the pathway of our dreams' fulfillment will often be suffering to bring light and beauty to a world that is dying as we await that final hope 
when Jesus returns and renews and remakes all things and evil is finally and forever defeated. We need to recognize that Jesus is still reshaping our expectations. And he's doing it in the pathway of suffering. And it occurs to me how often we talked about suffering this year, Waiting for the Light, our Advent series. And throughout uh, so much of our content this year, it has been the pathway of suffering. And I did not intend that to be quite this way. But it occurs to me that it perhaps is something that our congregation needs to hear. It needs to hear it, especially now in light of the fact that there is so much going on that we would choose to have differently. And will we give in to say, but we had hoped it would be different? Or will we allow Jesus to reshape our expectations, recognizing that there is a hope still waiting? The role in suffering, of suffering and redemption, one of the commentators I read this week, uh, J.R. Edwards, in his commentary on the gospel according to Luke, says this, that the role of suffering in redemption or in salvation escapes the pair on the road to Emmaus as it escapes many, if, as it escaped many, if not most, of the Jewish contemporaries. For them, suffering and death are the abnegation or the surrendering of hope. These two cannot conceive, nor can humanity as a whole throughout history conceive, that suffering and death are the necessary means of divine redemption and eternal hope. He goes on to say and to talk about in his commentary the expectation of the Jews during the time of Jesus. And he says this, the thought of a suffering Messiah was a foreign concept to pre-Christian Judaism, pre-Christian Jews, including first, first century Judaism. No canonical Old Testament text and no pre-Christian Jewish text that we know of associates suffering with the Messiah. The pseudepigrapha, which is which develops messianic conceptions well beyond those of the Old Testament, no, makes no mention of the, the suffering Messiah. There, on contrary, is a lot of language written about a Messiah who will be a holy conqueror, who will consummate the era of salvation, vanquish all enemies by the word of his mouth, subject the nations to the yoke of Israel, sit on his glorious throne to judge kings and rulers. He says, it is true that the servant of the Lord text in Isaiah depict a suffering righteous one, but the servant of the Lord in Isaiah is never identified as Messiah in Judaism until after Jesus. I find it fascinating then, think about this for a second. I find it fascinating then that the most trained theological minds of Jesus's day the paid theologians, the paid religious people. Their whole job was to understand God and all of their understanding of God led them in their arrogance to a conclusion that made them completely miss the reality and the beauty of Jesus. I think the application for us today is that we need to consider the uh, limitations of theology. I think when we think of theology, we think of the study of God and we think of understanding that leads to a greater uh, confidence in truth, right? Theology. But did you know, I think what this text is really showing us is that the point of theology is not simply understanding that leads us to not see, not being able to receive and see Jesus, but an understanding that leads us to an encounter with Jesus, 
For isn't this the whole point of it all, of theology, of church, of everything, to encounter Jesus? This is what all of the scriptures are pointing to. Do you not see this? In uh, verse 27, Jesus sits down with the or on the road. He opens up the scriptures and he shows them how all, do you see that word? All the scriptures point to himself. I've read the Old Testament a lot of times, and I'm sure many of you have read it. Um, maybe you, some of you have read what is in the Old Testament scriptures and haven't read it uh, as much as maybe you would like. Or maybe you've read what's in the Old Testament scriptures and you've chosen not to read it because of what you've read is there, yeah? Jesus says that everything in the scriptures points to him, is pointing to him. That could be really hard to see, but imagine I've always, whenever I've read this text, I've always had my heart, my heart has always yearned, like, I've gone to a lot of Bible classes and a lot of seminary, I've heard a lot of sermons, I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing to be on the road with these two disciples and have Jesus tell you the point of all the scriptures and how all the scriptures point to him? Because sometimes I read the Old Testament, and it's hard for me to see it, right? It's hard for me to see Jesus in certain parts of the scriptures. And yet, Jesus' little theology lesson is that it all has to do with him. Jesus' theology lesson, notice, is not about telling his disciples about what is to come, but his the theology lesson is about telling them a lot to do about how the scriptures talk about what has happened in him. What has happened in him. In fact, I'm convinced that the scriptures are less concerned about telling us the future than they are about telling us what what kind of people we are to be in the here and now. In other words, the scriptures are less concerned to tell, about telling us with what is to come, and they are more concerned with telling us what kind of people we are to be no matter what comes. And what kind of people we are to be is imitators of Christ. Imitators of Christ. That is the what now. Jesus has risen from the dead. What now? Jesus is risen from the dead. Even though the expectations were completely shattered in the process. And what do the disciples do now? After their theology lesson, they persuade Jesus to come back to their home. They convince him because it's late at night and they want to show hospitality to this stranger who's captured their imaginations. Still not recognizing Jesus, they bring him into the, his home and they share a meal. And fascinatingly enough, Jesus becomes the host of the meal and he takes the bread, their bread, the bread that was in their house. He breaks it. He blesses it. He gives it to them. And during this whole scene, the disciples have their eyes open and they recognize their Lord and Savior he disappears from their sight. So this is kind of supernatural weird, right? And the disciples look at each other and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with him about the scriptures and as he opened this whole scriptures to us? Do you want your heart to burn warmth of the love of Christ? Do you want to experience the love and the satisfaction of a life with Jesus. 
then you might need to start by evaluating what you are searching for. You might need to start by reevaluating and resetting your expectations. You can seek after knowledge and understanding, or you can seek after an encounter with Christ. Every page of scripture points to him. Every encounter is an opportunity, every experience is an opportunity for us to encounter his love and to show it to this world. And so this morning, as we close and as we pray, I want to give you a, a, a 20 seconds, a moment of silence to pray this prayer in your heart and to reflect and meditate on its language. And here it is. Heavenly Father, help me to see Jesus in every page of Scripture and help me to experience his love in every encounter I have. Would you pray that in your hearts quietly? And like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we ask and pray that, God, you might shape and transform our hearts to see the beauty and the love of Jesus so that we might show it to others. And as we close our service, we close it in a familiar way. We close our service with a benediction of empowerment and challenge for you to go into the world again and hear it again. We miss seeing you, and I can't wait for the time we're together, but in this time, it is still an opportunity to see the love of Jesus and to love your neighbor well. And so here is how you do it. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all people. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel of the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May his power and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.